doing this podcast. Plan speaking at this level? Louder. Is that okay? No. I plan speaking at this level? Yeah. Okay. from our conference room straight into your earbuds. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Idea Lemon's Discover Your Inner Awesome podcast. My name is Rajiv Nathan, a.k.a. The Raj Nation. I am the Idea Lemon co-founder and your show's co-host. And as always, I am joined alongside my co-founder and co-host, Marty McFly. That's Martin McGovern. This is Discover Your Inner Awesome, the only show where you get to eavesdrop on conversations with entrepreneurs, artists, and musicians about the stories, the journeys, the struggles, but most importantly, the questions. The questions that help us all better understand who we are, what we're doing, and how we can do it better. In this episode, we sit down with Ivan Lingus. Ivan is the founder and CEO of Monarch & Company, a promotional merchandising agency. We sit down with Yvonne and talk about accountability, specifically asking the question, how do you build accountability? Now, before getting started, I'd like to send you a quick invitation to head on over to idealemon.com and to your email address on the homepage. It's totally free. In so doing, you will join our dope tribe of amazing people and never miss an episode of the show, as well as all the cool stories we share around the themes that we discuss on Discover Your Inner Awesome. All right. Let's dive in now to our conversation with Yvonne Lingus. How do you build accountability? Let's listen in. I think accountability is top of mind right now because um, starting in January of this year, I have an employee who's off-site in Denver. And so it's really important, um, you know, with a company of two, that we have ways that... Um, work for us in order to hold ourselves accountable by also working independently. And then the reason I thought it was good to talk about on a larger scale was because a lot of companies are moving to the work from home or work from their home offices. Um, and then also just allowing people to not have to come into work every day. So what I went to a client's office not too long ago and I asked where everybody was and they said that, you know, it's a work from home day. And I was like, what is this? And they were just like, you know, it's something we're trying out to see if people are actually working from home and try to make it a part of their culture. So I think that there's a lot of drop off when you don't talk to people every day and see people every day. So I think it's good to kind of just talk about like, what are the things that you can do to hold others accountable and then what makes you um, what makes people want to be accountable to you? What are those types of things? So I also was thinking, what were, what was the first memory you have of somebody holding you accountable? Hmm. Probably it had to be like parents, right? Depends on your childhood, I guess. <laughs> There's one that stuck out to me that I think everybody goes through. And then I thought about my experience and how you're right, how you're raised and going back to your parents. But I remember, do you remember the um, the attendance? You would get a award oh, yeah. for having good attendance yeah. in school. That's actually come up on a podcast before. I had perfect attendance until I got sick, like the, one of the last weeks of senior year. <laughs> and I was so furious because it was like the type of sick that you could not go in. Like, <laughs> it was like in bed, dead kind of sick. And I was just like, but I'm supposed to win an award. <laughs> and I then, had many years of the perfect yeah. attendance award. Only one person got perfect attendance. And I was like, damn. <laughs> and I feel like there were a ton of people who were like, Karen from Mean Girls, where she's like, ah, ah, I'm sick. And, like, and they just don't go out after that, or they don't go to school because of that. I think that um, with accountability, if you, if you think about that, and then think about that, how it translates to your work life, people were giving people awards 
for showing up, <laughs> which is like That's a like minimum a, It's a participation award. That's exactly yeah. what it is. You showed up the best. Right. So I kind of think that we should really think about that. And I think that that needs to be kind of reworked. And I think the most, you know, hopefully this will spark a memory for you guys as well. But I think I remember, or maybe I've just been told the story a lot that I, I remember. But when I was on the bus when I was younger, old enough to be sassy so maybe like fourth grade um everyone that's was, that's the age that sassy was sassy. <laughs> i think, it, I think well, so you've got enough like clout over the younger grades that you can't yeah. be sassy and it's cool and you don't you know like you don't have to worry about who's gonna pick on you i'm still <laughs> waiting for the sassy to kick out on me <laughs> um i remember being on the bus and everyone was standing up and i was the only one that got in trouble and i have no idea why but i went home and i told my dad that i got in trouble and I was like, but everybody else was standing up. And he was like, let's back up a second. He was like, were you told not to stand up on the bus? Yes. Were you standing up on the bus? Yes. Then you're in trouble. And I think in that moment, I think that plus probably years and years and years of that just being beaten into us, that you learn that you, you are accountable for your own actions. And I think that with work and the way that we work now from home offices and you know people in different cities, I think there's a lot of people complaining that their team members aren't doing their job or they don't like their leadership or, you know, whatever it is. So does that spark any memories for you guys? I, I think it does. Well, so one of the things that's been pointed out to me recently that I find really interesting is how I met with someone who was in from New York and they were like, what is going on in Chicago? Why is everyone so polite? Like, this is ridiculous. Like, just tell people they're failing. And like, <laughs> and I was like, I like you. Let's keep in touch. Um, <clears throat> but it reminds me of like, I remember my grandparents and my parents, they'd always be like, you know, it's, it's weird that like back when we were kids, if you got in trouble at school and you went home and you told your parents you got in trouble at school, they would just double down on the punishment. And they'd right. be like, well, you were in trouble. Now you're in trouble here, too. But now it's like kids will come home and be like, my teacher yelled at me. And the parents will go back to the school and be like, don't yell at my kids. And like suddenly there's just like no one can hold anyone accountable because the two authority figures are like fighting over whether or not you should or shouldn't be in trouble. And there's this like lack of accountability. And I think that going back to what I was saying about Chicago versus New York, sometimes politeness gets in the way of accountability in a lot of areas because people aren't following through or aren't staying the course and doing the things they're supposed to do. But you're like, yeah, well, failure is okay in, in like the startup world. Like you're supposed to fail fast and move on and like everyone's at their own pace and participation awards and like all that stuff. Mm -hmm. Where the reality of it, like the guy from New York is like, no, your company's just gonna stop. Like that's fine. Like you wanna be nice to people, but like at the end of the day, it's gonna fail, so. Right. I thought that was really interesting. Yeah. Well, the, we were talking about this the other day. I'm getting like so fed up with the there's no such thing as failure mindset out there. I, I was listening to an episode of Entrepreneur on Fire uh, and the, the guest on that show, John Lee Dumas asked her, tell me a time when you failed. And her response was, I'm going to butcher this a little bit, but it was it was basically... This is a tough question for me because I fundamentally don't believe in failure because I think ultimately uh, everything, you learn something down the road in the end anyways. And then she went to tell about, talk about a story. Uh, she's like, but I'll tell you a little hiccup I had. Um, I, it was in the same day I got fired. I lost my house and I, my boyfriend dumped me. And I'm like, and I'm listening, I'm like, and you're calling that a hiccup? Who the fuck do you think you are? <laughs> and, and really, and it doesn't even matter like what her specific, specific story is, but I hate that she said, I fundamentally don't believe in failure. And like so many people are like, there's no such thing as failure. And I agree that like everything is a learning experience. And when shit goes wrong, you're, you are going to learn from it. But if you treat everything with this equal unimportance that there's no failure, then like you don't really learn from what happened. Right. Whereas if you're like, we failed at that, then you can say, how do I not do that awful mistake again? Right. And you actually apply the knowledge, which matters so much more than just learning. Like I'm, I'm working with these uh, military veteran entrepreneurs over here and I was telling them about this and I was like, if 
you were to, if, if you screwed up a military operation and tons of civilians died, you wouldn't say, oh, but I learned something. Right. <laughs> You'd be like, holy shit, we fucked that up. Right. And that, you know, everyone else in the non-military world, and not that I'm, I'm even part of the military world, but I'm just saying like they would not call that, you know, oh, a learning opportunity. But That's not where you got that leg brace? <laughs> <laughs> um, but in all these, you know, like lower stakes scenarios, basically, and they aren't even low stakes. It's like if it's, if it's your business, if it's your career, if it's whatever, if you're not just calling it, if you're not calling a spade a spade, then you're lying to yourself and you're not truly learning from the experience. And when that woman, on the, on that guest on the show was like, there's, I don't believe in failure. And then she tells this basically story of failure. It's just her like protecting her own ego, I feel like. Yeah, I think that's a good way to look at it. I When you were telling that story, I thought, I agree in that I don't fundamentally believe in failure either because I think that I associate failure with stopping. Mm-hmm. And so... I think that, and I know this is kind of getting a little, you know, off topic, but I also think that I don't like when people, I don't know what I'm trying to say. Make sure you say it louder. When people, (laughs) when people, I don't know how to explain it without offending Okay. Okay. You, you're more just than, say you're yeah, more than welcome to offend people yeah. on this podcast, but <laughs> that's okay. That's up to you and your own reputation. This is the cold hard truth show. <laughs> <laughs> um, I can circle back to when also when you were talking um, about New York and Chicago being nice and you know cutthroat. So I'm pretty cutthroat in nature, in that if you do something wrong, then you're gone. I don't have time for it. I'm not a good manager. So I also think that it's interesting that when you own a company and you are in charge of other people's livelihood, that there is something that comes over you that you're just kind of like, maybe it's okay. I'll give you another chance. Mm-hmm. Because the thought of you know firing somebody, it's kind of hard to stomach your first time. The third time it gets a little easier. Mm-hmm. But the first time, it's a little, I think it's a little difficult. And, and now it's just fun. Yeah. Boom, boom, boom. <laughs> um, but I think that, you know, I've struggled a lot with trying to hold people accountable um, because I think that everybody thinks like me and people don't do that. You know, you guys can probably relate too because you've started, you know, something from scratch and you think that the people that you are going to, be working with probably have the same work ethic as you, but the reality is is that not a lot of people do otherwise they would just be doing what you do. Yeah. Does that make sense? <laughs> well yeah, and, and I think kind of to bridge the gap between the ideas, it's like even even in the case where you are following through on checking the box, it doesn't mean that the box was checked to the level it needs to be checked, right? And so with attendance, so we're like ragging on attendance, right? Well, that's because like, okay, you showed up. That's the minimum effort. Just like, okay, you sent out your email campaign, right? That's the minimum effort. Did it work though? Right. Is it is it building on itself? Is it cumulative? Is it going somewhere? Is it bringing in results? And I think that even in, in, uh, in this whole like fail fast mindset, paired with the accountability mindset, it's like some people, I know in the past we've talked about like, all right, so I said my minimum workout each day. If I don't get a real workout in, I'm at least going to do five push-ups. And that counts towards the habit, whatever it was. <laughs> For me, it was five. And so, like, but the idea being, like, okay, if you set a goal. If you don't hit that goal, that's okay. Just do, like, a bare minimum thing um, versus not doing anything at all. So on the, one, on the one hand, at least do something, right? But on the other side of it, if you're trying to grow a business or manage people, just doing the bare minimum is not good enough when it comes to accountability. It's doing that, checking the box, and actually exceeding it. Right. You're saying that doing the minimum requirement is acceptable or it's is not. not? So there's Well, there's different kinds of accountability. It's, it's I think. contextual. Right? Yeah. There's, I think when we say, how do you build accountability, we have to start looking at the different contexts in which the sure. accountability is being assigned but that whole like minimum whatever that's actually something that i've been thinking about a lot recently because and and i try hard to not just 
let people get away with, or even myself, like what, like the expectation, you know, like if this is what is the standard, don't be proud of, of the fact that you've done the standard. You right. Know? Um, like particularly with these, with these um, entrepreneurs at Bunker Labs that I'm working with and helping them with their pitches uh, as they give their, just like their 60 second pitch, um, they're using, you know, as differentiators, things like, not I'm, I'm particular people who I've been working with, their differentiators would be like, we use state-of-the-art technology and modern techniques. And I'm like, but if I'm a client, isn't my expectation that you use modern techniques? Like that's, you're not differentiating yourself from anyone. Right. Like if that's your calling card, something's wrong. I <laughs> use a computer. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty cutting edge. Yeah. No, I, yeah. And that's something that I've always, and I, I honestly, I think a lot of it is from what like my parents instilled in me when I was a kid, maybe to go back to the original accountability. It's like, the joke with Indian parents is it's like, hey, dad, I got an A. Where's the, where's the A plus? Or like, you know, I got a 93%. Where's the other 7%? I and mean, that's really how it was growing up. And I remember actually getting into like a huge argument with my dad. And I don't know what, maybe it was like elementary school or middle school, um, where I got a, I, I was so adamant that convinced, I was like, a B is good. And he was, I was like, everyone else is getting a B. And he was like, why are you comparing yourself to everyone else? Right. It's like, if A is the highest possible, why does it matter what anyone else is doing? I think it's a really good mindset. <laughs> and that, that really is, you know, at the time I fought. But, but it's how does this really... go against what you say about education all the time of like, go to school to learn, not to get grades? Because I chased after the, so like my parents were the mm -hmm. same thing. A should be an A plus. And I chased after the A plus to the detriment of actually learning things. Because I would study the wrong way in order to get the grade instead of learning the material. So like in science and math, I would just study enough to be able to pass the test cramming the night before just to get through because I needed that grade to satisfy the accountability checkpoint that I was being put up against. Mm -hmm. And what I wasn't actually walking away with was an understanding of calculus. And like I still right. have a hard time doing math. And so I think that there is... Like when, when we're talking about accountability, we need to, I think we need to look at what the metrics are that we're actually comparing it for, um, comparing it against, because I think that's going to be more important than just saying it got done. Like just because you got through your to-do list doesn't mean you're actually successful. Right. Well, with that in particular, to your question of how does that go against my philosophy of go to school to learn, not to get a grade, that, like, that mindset from my parents, particularly with my dad, is he's just like super smart and particularly in math and science he's super smart and I would always I, I always had a private tutor on hand for math and science like he'd be able to like look at the textbook chapter and then like just recall and be able to teach it back to me um, what he wouldn't let me get away with is you only know how to answer this problem as it exists as a homework assignment if I gave you different numbers you have no idea how to solve this so he wouldn't like when he'd be teaching me how to do it, he would, we'd go through whatever the homework problem was and then he'd, he'd come up with a new problem and say, now solve this. And I, he wouldn't let me get away until I could solve the problem that wasn't just memorizing what numbers he had said and then recalling it back. So for him, it was, it was a, a validation thing with the, with the grade, but it was, it was also coupled with, this means you know the material. And he would always like, uh, like my upbringing was, you don't just study for the test the night before. You better be studying this for the six weekends until it actually hits. Like study it in chunks, and I didn't really, I didn't really do that, you know, through high school because I'm like, no, I'm gonna hang out with my friends, and I'd like be like, yeah, I studied. And bees are good. Yeah. I'd be like, yeah, I studied. But so I did. It but then like I internalized that in college, without even realizing it. But it sounds like your accountability was around structure. And that your accountability was around a goal. Mm -hmm. And then I also think that, you know, those expectations. So I always relate things back to business and leadership. Um, and also, you know, personal relationships. But how can you set somebody up to be the most successful, to be accountable to you, and then also be accountable to them? So obviously the first and foremost is to be accountable to yourself, which takes an immense amount of discipline, which I think is really underrated is that the right underrated discipline is underrated yeah i it think it's not it's, valued enough yes yeah. it is a tough skill set 
which I think breeds confidence. And I also think that when you can give somebody structure and goals and communicate expectations, I think only then people can even think, start to want to be like accountable to you. And then also I think, you know, um, Anna that works with me, she is really good at walking the line of being like the cool boss, but like the very serious boss. So she can joke with you, but when Anna turns it on, you know that she is serious and that you can't just check off the box with her. And I think that that happens because she works that into her. So she obviously practices what she preaches, which I think a lot of leadership or people don't really do. Um, so I think that's a really good way to hold people accountable as well, just setting those yeah. ticks. Yeah. So there's a blog post I wrote a few years ago, uh, and then I updated and republished this year, was around this idea of discipline, which, and it was the story of this, um, I, I read it from a book about the history of hip hop, and it was about this DJ, I believe in either in Long Island or San Francisco or in LA, one of the two. I can't remember the location off the top of my head, but anyways, he was trying to play hip hop music at a time when it was wasn't generally accepted on the radio or even in pop in culture. Um, so you know, like the eighties, early nineties, and he just wanted to like go in and play like all hip hop all the time. And he's like, people need this. And his station manager was like, you've got to warm the audience up to this stuff because it's new um and he, the line he said he used was discipline creates freedom he was like be very disciplined in like the structure you put out so it's like five songs people are familiar with one new song that sounds like the last five they've heard and then like transition out and like keep following that and you will get to a point where you can play all hip-hop all the time and he did and that line is stuck with me to the point that i read that which was you know three years ago or something like that Discipline creates freedom, and it's so true. Because you know, a lot of people um, think, "Oh, I can just you know, I can quit my job and just do whatever I want." Finally, but if you did that, you'd like you'd be in debt very quickly. Like you still have to be disciplined about whatever it is you're doing, whether you like it or hate. I mean, you, if you can hate it and you want you want to leave, that's fine. But whatever's next, to be successful at it. You know, like all these all these successful examples aren't just sitting there being like, "What do I feel like yeah. doing today?" Going off on your own actually requires more discipline because people aren't telling you what to do every day. Yeah, and that's a huge thing with the with the accountability, right? I think I think one of the hardest things is being accountable to yourself, and that's yeah. something over the last couple months that I've been working on. I always equate it to. I remember when I started out, um, I looked at it as, and because it was very real. That if I didn't work, then I didn't eat. I mean, and the reality is my parents probably would have helped me out a little yeah. bit. You know, I wasn't like on the brink of being homeless. But at the same time, it was like you have nobody to turn to your left or to your right. And so you have no other option. It Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, well, so I'm interested with you, with you in particular. You've never had a quote-unquote job, right? You started yours right out of, you started Monarch right out of college? No, I started in 2009. I had, the longest job I had, I think, was like nine months up until that point. Uh, I just wasn't able to work for anybody else. Um, so, I just don't know if it was because of a respect thing or did I Did you graduate college now? Mm-hmm. Or in 2009 already? Okay, so, yeah. so you had a few months working for someone else. I had but, a year and a half, two different jobs. Okay, so... You were getting no respect or you didn't respect the people? I just didn't respect the people, <laughs> the people in charge. So for pretty much your entire adult life, you've been on your own, you started your company, and you've been figuring that out, and you've been, you've been doing it on your own. Yes. So you've had to, for most of your adult life, be accountable to yourself. So what were those early days like when you started, and how did you fight, like, ah, oh, let me just go hang out at the pool, or let me just... Watch TV today. Yeah, I mean, I did that. You have to for your sanity because when you are starting out, you're working a lot of hours and you're working on the Saturdays that people are going to hang out and stuff. So on, on a Monday, if it's nice out and I want to go to the beach, I'm going to do that because otherwise you'll just drive yourself crazy. So um, I think that the the 
the drive just came from wanting to have money. I mean, mm-hmm. if I, I, I like having nice things. I wanted to grow. I didn't want to just be like a one-man shop. Um, and then also I wanted to work with really high-profile clients. That was like a goal that I set out for myself right in the beginning. Um, and so every day it was just like, how can I do this? How can I do this? And you have to become obsessed with it. And I think that the worst thing is walking away from a project or a company or whatever it is and thinking that I disappointed myself. So I could, I could handle in life disappointing somebody else. I'll get over that. But disappointing yourself, I, I just don't think that I would be able to sleep at night if I didn't give it my all. And so to answer your question, I think that it was about waking up every day with the intention of today's going to be better than yesterday, con- like embracing change like no other, and then just kind of figuring it out along the way, but also just not stopping and not complaining it was just like all hands on my two hands all hands (laughs) on deck like every day there was just no there was no other option and that's I remember when I started Monarch I talked to Anna um who is now working with me and I I think I had a moment of like am I gonna am I gonna do this because it was like a 24-hour decision that I went off on my own um and so she's like you know there's one thing about you that I know and that failure isn't an option and I know that about you. She's like, so whatever it is or whatever this becomes, you're going to figure it out. So I've, I've held that close to me, you know, throughout the years and throughout the really hard times. Um, so, yeah. That's interesting. Um, you had a very clear vision of what you were doing with Monarch from the start. Yeah, I wrote down three, five and 10 year goals that were like, I want to be on the cover of Entrepreneur Magazine, I want to have an office in New York, I want 10 employees, Um, these are the types of clients that I want, I want to be the person that people fly in. I mean, these are like huge, you know, big picture goals. Um, And I wrote them all down. And then I think I just kind of memorized them. I mean, not, you know, word for word, but you know, every day kind of checked in with myself. Um, And I think that when you start to realize that you're maybe veering, maybe going to the beach too much or going out too much or whatever it is, I think just having those goals like handy and thinking like, what am I working towards? You know, in the same times when you are up at like 3 a.m. and you haven't slept for like four days and you're like, what am I working towards? You have to remind yourself of those goals. And then also when you have employees, you have to remind them of those goals all the time too. Otherwise people get resentful because, you know, small business and startups require a lot from people. So, well, that's the, so especially with the employees front of them understanding the goals, that's a huge thing for to, from the beginning of this conversation. You were talking about how companies are struggling with motivating their employees. And I feel like a lot of that is at a lot of companies, the employees are so detached from what does their job mean in the larger context of what the company is trying to accomplish. Mm-hmm. And the marketing agency I used to work at was like, I kind of always knew what am I doing and how does this affect this piece, which affects this piece of the company, which kept me motivated for a long time. Because you had purpose? Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Like it wasn't just, and it makes you almost like happy to like have to put up with like BS work that's going on. Um, Cause you're like, no, I know that needs to get done so that this can happen. Um, you know, like there were nights where I would like be writing up client contracts until like 1 a.m. And I wasn't thinking to myself, why the hell am I doing this? Because I knew why I was doing it, you know. Right. Uh, and I like I was working towards a common team goal and I felt invested in that goal um, up until my last few months there where I no longer felt invested in, and left. But that's that's a huge component. It's like not just telling someone this is what you have to do, but also them understanding and internalizing, this is why you're doing it. And this is why, or this is how it impacts X, Y, and Z. I think also to, to do that when you are in a leadership position takes a lot of vulnerability um, to be able to communicate like what you see and kind of putting it out there because there is a chance that maybe you won't hit those goals or maybe you'll fail or whatever it is. Um, so I think that when you can find a company um, that allows you to in like that, 
that it does give people more purpose and it's easier to be accountable. Um, but I, I don't think there's a lot of companies out there like that. I mean, I could be mistaken, but from what I hear, I don't think that a lot of people really understand why they go to work every day. Do you guys? Yeah, no, I, yeah, we talked to tons of people who feel that way. Right. <laughs> so I like I try to, and maybe I'm on like the other spectrum, or maybe I tell people too much. But if you're asking me a question, like I can't, like in a company of you know under ten, you can't hide. No matter what your title is, no matter how many shares of the company you own. So I kind of look at it as like if you ask a question, you better be ready for the answer because I'm going to tell you. And as long as we can have like that open, you know, dialogue that I also think it, it allows people to be more accountable to you as well, because it allows them to see you as like a human, not just like this authority figure. Have there ever been any lines that you've like, any moments where you're like, all right, I need to work on this piece of accountability for myself and like drawn a line in the sand and made a change in how you approach life or your business in order to accomplish it? That's a good question. Can you repeat it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Are there any moments in which you realize like, oh, I'm not holding myself accountable to my goals? I need to make a change in either the way I do my business, the way I approach my work, or the way I approach my life. Yeah, I think that I wasn't, you know, at one point with Monarch, I had um, two people working with me, and... I don't, I think for a period of time, I wasn't being a good leader because I was stressed out about so many other things that I was extremely results driven, which when you're a results driven person, you're stressed out. It's like you, you sometimes forget how other people feel. (laughs) And I forget that a lot in my work life. And so now that I'm working with um, Anna, who's also a really good friend of mine, I try to take a breath every day and just think, how did I communicate that to her? How was that received? Is she, is she okay? So before I wouldn't have done that, and maybe it's because Anna's my friend and I really care about her as a person. Um, not that I didn't care about other people. As, as <laughs> but you know, Sorry, when you're, you're, not, friends, you're not my friend. <laughs> when, you're, when you're friends with somebody, there's a different level of connectedness. So I think that I've been training myself to do that for the past six months. So my hope is, is if I continue that religiously, that it will just become a part of me. And that when I do bring on more people, that I can continue to do that with them. So to answer your question more concisely, I think that I wasn't being accountable. I wasn't being a great leader to them because I wasn't present. Accountability to others. Right. Yeah. What about you? Um, I've spent a lot of years focused on like routine and habit and things like that. <clears throat> in order to um, make sure that the goals I was setting were in line with what I actually could accomplish. Uh, So for a long, long time, um, I had a lot of ambition and drive, but I did not have the uh, lifestyle structured in order to achieve it. Like a lot of distractions, a lot of TV, a lot of wasting time. And so I've spent a lot of... I've, I've taken a lot of time to focus on what were the, we, we talked about this on a lot of podcasts, like what's the one thing, what are the big barriers that if you can fix that one thing, everything else gets easier. And so like sleep was one, um, going out on the weekends was another, and a lot of this is just age, like as you get older, <laughs> you spend more time wanting to work. Um, and I've just noticed that over the years, uh, I've kind of gotten all those pieces down. And going back to the point you had earlier about confidence, that comes from discipline and routine. I've definitely noticed that, especially since November when I quit drinking in order to focus on our business and like being able to like be sharp. I wanted to be able to be mm-hmm. really sharp and present at all times, even at like two in the morning if I was having a really long conversation with someone about something. I wanted to be 100% present and 100% there. And I've, that's what I've been doing. And it's been amazing. And it's completely changed my approach to 
a lot of other things like sleep is a non-issue now so I don't have to spend any energy worrying about my sleep patterns because that's just something that I almost feel like I've gotten into a much more consistent rhythm uh, with all of my goals and all of my accountability to the point that I don't even have to track some things that I used to have to track three four years ago hmm. so you don't drink at all no that's great yeah it's it's been a pretty interesting change in the way that I approach sort of every day and even just regular conversations. Interesting. It's a really big change. Mm -hmm. But I look at it from a really long-term perspective and I'm reading a book by Ryan Holiday right now. Do you guys know Ryan Holiday? Um, it's his new book, right? Yeah. It's, it's, called? it's called Ego is the Enemy. Yeah. And he doesn't talk specifically about that, but he talks about um, controlling everything in your life. And the chapter I was just reading was about um, that person in Germany who is just very like sober in everything she does. Like Putin came in, knew she hated dogs, and like let a wild dog out in her office just to like mess with her. And she was just like, okay. And like made a joke about it later. And he ended up looking stupid instead of her. And it's just this ability to control yourself and your responses and your ego and your environment just by controlling yourself. Right. And I just love the concept of being fully aware and fully in control at all times. Right. And that's might be a bad thing to be too much in control, but I think it's way better than just being reactive to most things that happen in life. Like I know in my first job, I would just come into work and just react to everything that happened. My boss would throw something at me, a deadline would pop up, um, a phone would ring, an email would come in. Everything was response. Like I'd respond to triggers that happened versus just being ready and being proactive on all the things that are going on in life. Yeah. I'm sure that yoga probably helps a lot with the awareness. Tons. And accountability yeah. to yoga self. Yoga meditation. Like it's gotten to the point for me where I, it's pretty hard to get me like on the spot agitated now, mm -hmm. whereas it didn't, like it used to be very easy to get me on the spot agitated. Um, what if I keep poking you? <laughs> um, but even like the, like now I, I laugh almost. So the other day, this a couple months ago, I was driving in Wicker Park in the morning and it was like, maybe before 8 a.m. or maybe around 8 a.m. And I, this woman was like tailgating me like through residential streets and getting, she was like honking at me for not going faster. First off, it's a residential street in Chicago. So like, I don't know, 30 is the speed limit maybe. <laughs> and there are kids going to school. All right. Like in the neighborhood. So I'm not trying to kill anyone. And she's, and then, she decides to, after the stop sign, she decides to pass me on the street. And so there's two sides of the story. One, like my initial thought, like as she's honking at me is, I love how it's my fault that you didn't plan your day. You know, you didn't wake up earlier or plan your morning appropriately. Now it's my fault that you're late to work. Um, because if you had just left at the time that's normal for you, or you know, that would not make this a hassle, you could drive at whatever speed and you'd be okay. Um, so that was like my initial, and that's kind of how I go about most things now where I'm like, what am I in control of here? Like, why is this person thinking, you know, or reacting in that way? And I try to understand where they're coming mm -hmm. from. And usually I'm like, all right, it makes sense. They'd react like that. I'm okay with that. Uh, almost to the point where I understand too much and like where I should just place blame and be like, no, <laughs> this is awful. <laughs> uh, I almost understand too much. Um, however, in that same instance, when she started to pass me, I got really mad and I was like, I turned over and I was like, what the hell? I was like, what the fuck are you doing? And I, and I slammed Ran on her the off gas. the road. <laughs> I slammed on the gas and I was like, you, I was like, what the fuck? And then she ended up speeding ahead of me and I was like, oh, whatever. And the thing that I'm most mad about was most mad about the rest of that day. And still from that interaction is the fact that I let myself get riled up by her being caught up in her own, you know, whatever from the morning. Right. Um, I wasn't mad about the fact that she was running me off the road. I was mad that I let that get to me. Right. And that's kind of how, you know, I've started to keep my own emotions in check is 
how am I choosing to respond to the situation? Yeah. Right. Well, and this is what we're talking about here. Accountability is the desire for control. <laughs> is it? I think so. It is. Because Explain why that. else why else would you be, you know, all right, so I I want to accomplish this goal, right? If you don't accomplish that goal, then you're going to say, "Well, why didn't I accomplish that goal? I should have held myself more accountable." So next time I that I set a goal, I'm going to have check-ins. I'm going to have people to talk to. I'm going to write down in my in my notebook every single day. Here's my schedule around it, right? So we build accountability in order to take control of things that we don't just naturally do. Like you don't just naturally get up and at at 4 a.m. and want to work all day. Like right. that's just not a natural thing to do. <laughs> but it She's is. Like, well, <laughs> but it's it's because there are goals and deadlines and all of that stuff. Like if there was no company that you were wanting you wanted to court if there were no 10 employees that you wanted in the future if you hadn't had those things in your head to come back to then there is no accountability it's just what do i want to learn today and what sounds fun which we've had a bit of an idea lemon of just like ooh, this is a cool idea who knows what it'll be let's just try it and like i mean that's how this podcast started it was just let's see what happens if you start a podcast and we ended up putting accountability around it in order for it to be something more tangible. Yeah. Um, whereas I think, you know, a lot of without accountability, you get stuck in dreams with no execution. Well, I also think accountability, I think that when somebody, if somebody's listening and they're thinking to themselves, am I being accountable to myself or am I being accountable to the person I'm working for or, you know, vice versa? I think that if you take a second and think about, what if I didn't do those things? So what if I didn't hit those goals? What would happen? And hopefully that would give people enough, you know, kick in the ass to start making some changes like you did. Um, but I think that accountability is just, I think it more boils down to responsibility. So I also think that for holding somebody accountable, I think that it needs to be a two-way street. So with yourself, when you're holding yourself accountable, you're creating goals and you're agreeing that those goals are going to be met. And then the process of what you take to make those goals are, is your journey. But I think that when you're working with somebody um, or for somebody or you have employees, I think that there, oh, something that's missing a lot is that there's not that exchange of like acceptance. A lot of people are just told like, this is what you're doing. This is what you're doing. So I think that in order to make people more successful, more accountable to each other, that people should just be more open about each other's expectations, regardless of your rank in the company, and agree to those expectations or agree to those rules or those goals. And then I think you'll be more successful with each other being more accountable. Does that make sense? I don't yeah. Know if I said that last part. A couple things from that, from what you said, Martin, and from what you just said, Yvonne. So this podcast, right? The accountability now is it's internalized as a craft that we want to like continue to develop is this ability to talk to strangers and have interesting conversations and be good on a microphone. On top of that, there's accountability to the hundreds of listeners of the show. If, if, if you told me zero people are going to listen to an episode next week, I would probably be like, ah, it's okay if we don't record this this week. But we know that there are people who listen to it and expect this every Monday. So that's the accountability. And I'm like, shit, we got to catch up because we don't have any episodes to go live in the next couple of weeks. We've got to record a few because um, I, it's like, I don't want that gap to happen. Right. So there's accountability to other people. And then I like what you said about responsibility too, like taking ownership of it um, to take the, the no drinking thing with Martin. You've done a no drinking experiment in the past, which didn't hold Correct me if I'm wrong, the time you tried it before, you, you know, if you were at a bar or whatever, you'd more often than not tell people, I'm not drinking tonight. Versus this time you just say, I don't drink. And I'm not drinking tonight is not entire ownership of what you're doing. And you can be convinced off of that very easily because there's always another tonight in which you can choose to not drink. That's a really good point. Yes, I, I, I definitely think that's true. And I think... Um, 
Because I said I'd, I'd reevaluate it at 30, which kind of puts it so that people... Years old? Yeah, when I turn 30. So two years from now, I said I'd come back and reevaluate. Because um, I have a lot of goals I want to hit between now and 30. And I was seeing that this was maybe not stopping me from getting to those goals, but elongating the process. And I was just tired. <laughs> I was, like, really tired. And so... Um, we, we had a lot of things, like I was focused on all sorts of energy. I was focused on sleep, I was focused on food, I was focused on vitamins, I was focused on all sorts of things. So it was just like wrapped up in all of it. Um, and certain pieces of the lifestyle stuck and other pieces kind of fell off. And, and I think it is kind of, it's all wrapped up in making a lifestyle out of whatever it is you're trying to do. Um, because then you're, going back to what you were saying, it's like you're accountable to yourself because that's the, I instead of saying, Oh, I'm not drinking. You're saying I'm not. I'm not the type of person who drinks. Or instead of saying, Oh, I'm working today because I have to. You're saying I am the type of person who works because I want to work. Right. Right. And I think I see this a lot with um, with if I have to work on like Saturdays and Sundays, which I do a lot now. <laughs> um, when I was in advertising, and they would say update YouTube on Saturday morning at 7 a.m. I would be unhappy because I didn't want to update YouTube. It's on Saturday morning at 7 a.m. Because, first of all, no one watched the channel, so it was unnecessary to wake up. No accountability to other people. No accountability to other people. And second of all, like, this was an arbitrary thing that someone chose who didn't have a clear reasoning why. Mm -hmm. They didn't explain to me why I had, yeah, detached from the outcome. They didn't say why I had to do it. They just told me it had to be done. And there was no arguing it or reasoning with it. It just needed to get done. So I'd wake up and I'd think of everything else that could be happening right now instead of what I was currently working on. And I noticed that with journaling sometimes. Like, I, I journal every single day. And sometimes I'll be sitting there and I'll be like, I really want to go to bed. And the journal will just be like half a page of me saying, I really want to go to bed. I really want to go to bed. <laughs> but I have to hit 750 words. And I notice that the days where I'm like, I wish I were asleep right now, the journal's harder. But on the days where I'm like, I just want to get this journal done today, and I'm focused on the journaling aspect, not what I'm missing out on, it goes quicker. And so I think it's about saying like, instead of saying, I could be doing other things, if you're living the lifestyle of the person that does this thing, you're not missing out on anything because that's not part of your lifestyle. Like there is no... I could be doing something else right now. There's no missing out. There's no FOMO. There's none of that. It's just, no, this is the type of life I live. No worries. Right. Because the other things that could exist aren't the life that I live. Right. Like, someone's climbing a mountain right now. Who cares? That's not my life. Like, I don't climb mountains, so I don't care. Right? Right. And someone's, you know, scuba diving. I don't scuba dive, so it doesn't matter. It's not my life. What if you wanted to climb mountains? What do you need to do? As an example, what what needs to happen then to make that? uh... You need to live a climbing mountains lifestyle and probably not eat Sour Patch Kids to the extent that I do. (laughs) (laughs) I think there's a good point when you say, like, you need to become what you say you're going to be, which kind of goes into, like, a lot of people that are starting companies right now. And it's very trendy. And, but then they aren't being disciplined or I personally think that when you start a company, you need to work, you know, 20 hours a day on the weekends, you're going to sacrifice. It's just part of the gig. Um, and it is interesting that you say that because it just, it clicked for me for a second. Cause I was like, wow, I do that. Like when I say that I'm starting a company, I lived and breathed that every day. And, you know, I do to some extent now, now it's a little easier um, but I think that's a really good takeaway. Yeah, and it fixes the cognitive dissidence of saying I'm an entrepreneur but not doing the things entrepreneurs need right. to do. Like Gary Vaynerchuk talks about this all the time. He's like, you say you're hustling but you're on social media all day. Or you right. say you're hustling but you only work 9 to 5. Like, you can't say you do something and then not do it and not expect for that to mess with your head. Correct. I think, too, the lifestyle aspect of this is super important and interesting because it really is like if it's not a part of your lifestyle you are not going to it's a much tougher climb no pun intended (laughs) (laughs) to to have that accountability to make yourself accountable to hold someone else accountable Um, 
But if it is part of your lifestyle, if you are the person who does this, then it is like the, the ability to have accountability <laughs> becomes easier. Abilability. Yeah. Um, and another th- and this is actually something I've been thinking about a lot recently, which is just the idea of lifestyles people have and what advantages does that give them. This is a little bit of a tangent, but like I, I was thinking about this yesterday or earlier today. Um, I think we don't give ourselves enough credit for random little things that we're really good at because it's just a part of our lifestyle and we don't realize other people don't operate in that way as well. And the reason this has been on my mind is because I went to a uh, concert with a couple of friends last month. Uh, it was The Roots. And The Roots have such a large catalog. Even as a fan, I have not heard nearly their entire catalog. They're amazing. But, and I've seen them play like five times now live. And but whether it's The Roots or someone else, um, my friend who I was with, she goes, because she could see I'm like picking up on the words they're saying, even though I may not have heard the words before. And she goes, you just have this like innate ability to know like what rappers are saying. And you've even said with like the Hamilton stuff, you're like, you're, you, you can't decipher what some of the lyrics are. Whereas I'm like, oh, what, what do you mean? He's saying this, this, and this. Like we, we've stood at a concert and you've been like, oh, and I'm like, huh? yeah, what? And, and, the, and like that thing with the Hamilton stuff and with that, what my friend said at the concert huh? made me think like, <laughs> What I have developed that I don't realize other people don't have because I rap myself is this ability to pick up on language and language set at a very fast speed mm-hmm. better than other people. Um, and this, there's actually a book I'm reading right now called Peak. It's about how, have you heard of it? Uh-huh. Uh, it's about how like experts become experts. Mm-hmm. Um, and what they talk about is there's a difference between practice and deliberate practice. Um, you can practice something a hundred times and still be bad at it or still do it wrong because if you're practicing in the wrong way it doesn't mean you're good at it like you could practice tennis and keep hitting the ball out of bounds a hundred times it doesn't make you a better tennis player it makes you a shittier tennis player right. so it's and deliberate practice is understanding specifically what do you work on and, and getting better at those things and the things related to that skill um, but what they said is like with experts who focus on deliberate practice what they develop is so like one of the examples they use is, I think at this point, the world record for remember recalling a string of digits in a row is like 432 digits. What? Yeah. And the guy who wrote this book did this experiment, and like, like his test subject was someone who, in the first two, three weeks, couldn't get more, couldn't get past the 10th digit. So I tell you, 8516785121. You can remember, you know, maybe six, seven, eight of those. Like, can you can you recall back to me? No. <laughs> That's when they break phone numbers up into da 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 da. You're right. Da, da, I don't recall under pressure. So, so the, you know, the first few weeks of training, this guy couldn't get past ten digits, and they they tried it a different way, oh, and then he got this. up to the point of remembering a hundred digits in a row. Yeah. And they're like, now most people would say, holy crap, he's got such a great memory, which is partially true. And you're like, you think like, oh, how can anyone remember that? which most people can't. But what happens is your brain, if you have deliberate practice, and instead of just every time being like, ah, all right, tend to just try it again. Ah, didn't do right. Try it again. Is you start to, your mind picks up frameworks in which to create the information or to recall the information. So rather than just remembering it as random parts that have been thrown at you, you you look at, like you start to make, you start to make your own little like compartmentalized Mm -hmm. strings of digits. And so, like, in that guy's case with the 100 digits, it was, like, he'd remember, like, strings of eight digits at a time, which just kept building up, which mm-hmm. enabled him to remember 16 digits in a row, yeah. and then strings of 16 oh. digits. Um, and that's, and with, like, the music stuff, that's where I'm, like, something has developed in my brain where I, may, I don't just view it as a bunch of words being said at a time. I, I, can, I can compartmentalize the information mm-hmm. to where I'm able to, you know, hear a song once and remember what was said, or I'm pretty good actually at like predicting the next rhyme even yeah. because I've been doing it myself. So I know like, I know how lines are structured 
and I know like what's a re- like based on things I've written and listened to for a while, I can think of what's the what's the, what's the, what's a reasonable place he's taking he or she is taking this lyric. Yeah, you're not memorizing the individual words; you're memorizing word associations. Exactly, exactly. And that's the type of stuff that I think like that's the lifestyle that I haven't realized. And just to go back to like why why this came up is like I have not. Like, I haven't understood why people don't have that mindset as well because they don't have that lifestyle. That's not their mindset at all. Um, and when you were saying at the beginning, you were like, it's tough when you realize people don't think the same way as you. I mean, in my case, I'm not like mad at people for not thinking that way. But now I at least know, like, and just it literally happened to my friend asking, do you just like know what people, like what they're saying on stage? Right. And that like made me think. And I'm like, yeah, I kind of do. <laughs> but... Um, in a work sense, it's like not everyone thinks the way you do. And that was one of the big things I learned a couple of years ago, just from when we started getting into studying personalities and personality tests. That was my wake up call. Like when I figured out, when I got my personality from the Myers Briggs, and then he got his, and then we started showing other people, or we started having other friends do theirs. Like, Martin, please stop angering Rob. <laughs> <laughs> that was like, I was like, wow. It makes sense. Like, I used to think it's getting on stage to speak is so easy. Why don't, why don't people just suck it up and do it? No, that's not how, like, not everyone thinks in the same way. Right. And not everyone has the I crave spotlight checkbox. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's where I think you can start to build accountability is acknowledging what is the lifestyle people have and how do you fit whatever you're requesting of someone into that lifestyle that they have. Yeah, and quote Gary Vaynerchuk again, he says, stay in your lane. Like, stop tr- – so you said, what if what if someone were to, were to want to climb a mountain, right? And for a second I thought you were going to say, but what if you wanted to climb a mountain someday? I'm like, nope. <laughs> like, I know what my lane is right. now. It has taken a lot of years with a lot of testing and a lot of like, you know, I like this, I hate this. Let's, let's focus, focus, focus. But I finally found – my lane and you know it might be a curvy does that prevent lane. you from trying new things it doesn't because there is an amazing amount of depth mm-hmm. in each lane like that's that's what i find so interesting is like we get when you don't know what you like you end up staying very surface across a lot of things mm-hmm. but when you know what you like and you start going deep into it there's no end to it like personality tests we have barely scratched the surface of how deep that goes right and you know, some people say it's a pseudoscience. Some people say it's like the most accurate thing ever. You want to spend your lifetime going into personality tests? You can. It, it is an endless hole of interesting things. Um, and I just think that once you find your lane, then you can like, you know, go up and down in it. But yoga is part of my lifestyle now. It wasn't before and it wasn't part of my lane. How do you... That's why I say you have to find your lane. You have to know, but it's when art. So for me, going back to what we've taught in the past, my thing is that I believe everyone deserves to be listened to, Mm -hmm. right? So some of you say, well, why do you not drink? Well, because I want to be extremely mindful and aware and present in every conversation that I have. If I'm at a networking event, I'm already like very ADD, Mm -hmm. can't focus on anything. If you add wine to that, I really can't listen to anyone. <laughs> As a matter of fact, I would go to networking events, have a glass of wine, bounce around the room, not ever having a real conversation, and then not remember any of the people because I never stopped long enough to learn their name right. and who they were and what the conversation was. So if that's something that I truly believe, something that I really want in my life is to be more present, more mindful, and able to recall conversations and people's names... I'm terrible at names, just the worst in names. Like you said, recall under pressure, worst. <laughs> you, you ask me what your name is when you're sitting next to me, and I will forget it immediately. Um, I forgot my roommate's name once. It's awful. <laughs> um, and so, like, and I knew that guy since high school. And so, like, the whole thing is just, like, if I want these things, and I, I have that in me, and I want more of it, that's why we are accountable to things. We want more of the thing that we like, Right. Um, then I need to get rid of the distractions. Right. I, I need to stop watching TV all weekend. I need to stop doing the things that are preventing me from becoming excellent at the things that I want. And I have some really serious goals that I want to be excellent at. I don't want to be, you know, 
40 and still attempting to do these things. And so if I'm ever going to get to that point, I need to find my lane, stick to my lane and master my lane. Right. I don't think that it would necessarily prohibit anybody from trying anything new. I think if you um, are open-minded, you're going to try new things, but you're just going to quickly learn and be okay not liking them. Yeah. I think that a lot of people, like, mm. oh, people always say, like, how would you not want to, like, do a 5K? I hate running. I play soccer. Yeah. I hate running. It doesn't make sense. But at the same time, like, I tried it, and, like, I I get crap about it all the time, and it's just, like... I, I tried it out. I was open-minded. It's just not something I like. And I'm actually comfortable enough with myself that I don't have to. Yeah. There's other people that like doing that stuff. Yeah. So I'm going to figure out what I like doing. And then I'm going to be the, an expert at it. My dad told me that a long time ago. He said, it doesn't matter what you are when you grow up, what you choose your profession to be. He's like, you can be a lawyer. You can be a doctor. He's like, you can be a toll booth attendant if you'd like to. You can be a janitor. It doesn't matter to me. He's like, well, whatever you're going to do, be the best at it. He's like, because that's how you're going to make money. He's like, you're not going to make a ton of money by knowing all these little things about everything. Just be an expert in one thing and stick to it and be the best. And so I think that that's true of kind of what you're saying is find your lane and stick to it, but then also just like, you know, perform. And on top of that, as you were talking, uh, what I was thinking about was while yoga may have been new, my lifestyle has always been an active lifestyle. Yes. Yeah. And I needed to try something new because I had been distanced from, like I had went too many months in a row without having a regular activity. And I was like, I need to try something new to get me back into working out or having exercise regularly. So you're right. It also fits perfectly in your mindset. I mean, that's you, you kind of had a yogi mindset prior to doing yoga as well. And then also just to be like, to to just put cherries on these points right <laughs> sports how many years did i attempt to enjoy sports and hated every second of it and everyone's like you have to so you can have conversations with people at work i'm like no this is the worst <laughs> why am i reading about effing games that i don't care about i don't know who these people are i'm clearly a fraud in every conversation that i yeah. have and then i'm sitting with my coworkers a month ago and we're all sitting around and someone's like does anyone want to go to a Cubs game with me? Um, I'm in from out of town. I'd like to go. And I was like, anyone but me. And everyone else at the table goes, me either. No, but like, if you want to go see a musical, like totally down. And they're like, and I'm like, I'd be down for a musical. Who wants to go see Book of Mormon? Like, this would be sweet. And then I just like ended that and went, you either need to learn sports to fake fit in with people you don't like, or you need to work with people you enjoy working with. And you'll all have the same interests. Right. And that's what I've found now and I'm going to keep pursuing throughout the rest of my life. It's like, I'm not going to go become an expert on musicals, but I do effing love listening to musicals. And when you send me your rendition of, of Hamilton, I'm going to listen and I'm going to enjoy <laughs> it, okay? And like, I find people who not only like musicals, but even like making their own versions of said musical. And so like, you know, the lane doesn't have to mean you don't try new things. It just means that... Like you said, if you don't like it, don't do it. And like, I went to Daybreaker once and I'm like obsessed with it. Like yeah. 6 a.m. dance parties. And I'm like, all right, that's the thing. That's, that's the new, like I don't party on the weekends. So I guess 6 a.m. once a month is my thing. And uh, I like recorded a video of it and it's, it's going to be a great time every month that I go. That's awesome. All right, we need to wrap up. Yvonne, before we do, um, what our listeners know about your business, what you're working on, and where they can find you. Uh, sure. So I own Monarch & Company. Um, it's a promotional merchandising firm. And you can find me by emailing me at Yvonne at monarchandcompany.com. not going to spell it. You can Google it. Well, we'll um, also have your name in the title of this okay. episode. So. <laughs> um, or you can reach me at 312-265-5840. Oh, throw in the phone mm-hmm. number. Mike Malloy did that school. too. Mike Malloy did that in, the, in that episode. Beep, boop, beep. <laughs> Not the Mike Jones phone number though. 281-330-8004. <laughs> Hit Mike Jones up on the low because Mike Jones oh is the low. 773. Not was the boop boop. Anyway, uh, so to wrap up, uh, we'll go around the room, starting with Martin, closing with Yvonne. Martin, how do you build accountability? 
Uh, I'm gonna stick with the Gary V references on this one. Um, pick your lane, stick to it, and live the lifestyle that is actually right for you, and then build accountability within the lifestyle you actually live, not the one you wish you had or that you're envious that someone else has. My answer for how do you build accountability, um, I think what a lot of this came down to that we talked about was whatever that thing you're trying to accomplish is, make it an obsession. Not drinking for you is an obsession. Getting your first, you know, X dollars in revenue is an obsession. I have several obsessions. <laughs> uh, no, but like yoga is an obsession for me. Um, and it's not like, I don't have to think about every day, like, oh, what is it? What do I lose out on if I do yoga? It's like, no, what am I gaining by doing that? Because it's an obsession. What am I gaining? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's my answer. If you make, I think if you make it an obsession... You will be able to hold yourself accountable and figure out how to hold other people yeah. accountable. Always look at accountability as gaining something in your life, not losing something. Right. I, like that. I think my answer to how do you build accountability, I look at it from the perspective of having employees. Just this is the first place I go. Um, and so I think that in order to build accountability, you have to um, be accountable to yourself, practice what you preach communicate your expectations um, and not be fearful of those expectations regardless of what they are. Um, and then also check in with people. It's not, I, just, I don't think it's a huge science. I think it's more about two people who are agreeing that something's going to be done, when it's going to be done, how it's going to be done, and then check in. And if it's not, then you're not being accountable. All right. Fired. Fired. You're fired. <laughs> Yvonne Lingus, <laughs> thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. That was our conversation with Yvonne Lingus. Yvonne, thank you so much for joining us and having a lot of laughter there at the end that I still have no idea why whatever it was was so funny. Anyway, did you, the listener, enjoy this episode? If so, the best compliment you can give us is a rating and review on iTunes as well as subscribing to the show. Ratings, reviews, and subscriptions help more people find the show. Therefore, more people get to discover their inner awesome. For full show notes, references, and resources from this episode, they are all listed over at IdealMN.com. Head on over there. You can get Yvonne's contact information there as well. She was even kind enough to leave her phone number. So hit her on that hotline bling. That wraps up this episode. Thank you again to Yvonne Lingus for joining us. For Martin McGovern, I am Rajiv Nathan. This has been the Discover Your Inner Awesome podcast. We will see you next time. But in the meantime, take care and be awesome today. I got a half See ya, then I grab her. She turned me to a body snatcher. Dude thought he had her. At the party, but she left with the dime at the party after. The party don't start to the after party. When your life is a party, you don't have to party. So knowing when I'm waking, I'm taking a couple shots. My life's a celebration. Here's the toast to party people in the nation.